and we are live. Good day, my crypto friends. It's a pleasure to see you today. Today we are here with the tantalizing Thomas Cox, a um, <laughs> wonderful EOS contributor, one of my one of my favorites. And what we're digging into today is the crossover in blockchain between blockchain and governance, and why that's important, and why I believe in why I think that it's the next evolution in, in blockchain to, to bring it to more of the people. So uh, we're going to get into that. I'll give you a brief overview of Mr. Thomas Cox here, and then I'm going to let him take it away. So um, uh, what really impresses me about you and why I'm so honored to have you on the show here is um, your background is so interesting. You worked at Oracle and you uh, were highly involved in the technology scene, but then you um, also were involved in politics and you went up to Oregon and I've heard you um, called the Oregon's Ron Paul. You were a libertarian candidate up there and um, and what was important about your campaign and what I appreciated about it was that as a libertarian, you had a certain set of views and thoughts on ways that you could positive, positively affect society. And throughout the political process, you didn't turn those over. You continued with those. I did work at Oracle uh, starting in 1989. Uh, did database work for a good 10 or 15 years. Uh, pivoted over to management consulting because I realized that technology only succeeds when the teams are working and we kept you know struggling with you know people would bitch about the you know it's the technology is causing us trouble and what dude it was fred and barney won't talk to each other man that's the issue but none of us would say that because it's like we're engineers you don't do that mm -hmm. we didn't have tools to tackle the teamwork issues we were facing so i thought man you know it's tantalizing to have this frustrating to have you know a project struggle for issues that you don't feel equipped to address, which for us were leadership and teamwork issues. And I thought, man, I have a bachelor's in psychology. Maybe I should dust this thing off and go after this problem because you know databases are simple by comparison, and I've been doing it for ten or fifteen years. They're getting kind of old. It's like, oh, another inventory system. So. Around the time I started working for IBM, I, I pivoted over to, to a career. I ended up being a, an interim executive and, and uh, teaching leadership. I uh, discovered I didn't know the first thing about it, uh, which was humbling, uh, and which then allowed me to actually finally learn some things. Um, and uh, it was in that same window of time as I was pivoting away from technology and, in, and facing my own need to learn, understand leadership better when I ran for governor in 2002. Uh, and the thing about running for governor is people will pay attention to you in a way they won't if you're the libertarian candidate for almost anything else, attorney general, treasurer, secretary of state. Like people don't pay attention to the major party candidates for those offices. Yeah. Governor, somehow, that's cool. It's got a cool name. Whatever. And so um, I was able to put together a detailed budget for the state that was at least plausible on the face of it. I mean, I did a bunch of research and I was able to talk about, you know, oh, the state of uh, Iowa is doing this thing with charter agencies that we could try and if we, if we got with savings that they, like they say, if we would save this much and let's try that, um, which drove a lot of people to go, huh, really, Iowa is doing that? Oh, okay. And so I just, I got to like the fact bomb people with things uh, to shake them out of their assumption that it's like, um, you know, we must throw money at problems, which uh, doesn't work. Uh, and, and I got into five of the six debates. I should have, you know, by rights, I should have gotten a half of 1%. I got 5% of the vote. Uh, and the uh, first place and second place guys were separated by less than 1%. Uh, 
It was 80, it was 48 to 47 to five. Wow. And you can imagine everyone's looking at that 5% going, oh, how do I, <laughs> how do I peel off some of those voters next time? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And that's the thing is after that race, we had the fastest growing libertarian party in the country in the state of Oregon because people knew who we were, what we stood for. Uh, and we got a lot more um, respect and attention to our issues and desires in the state and local legislature and, and, and state city government. Uh, and that's, you know, that's the game. I mean, libertarianism is a philosophy for activists and activists job is to be, you know, annoying. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what activists do. They throw paint on fur and say fur is murder <laughs> or they, you know, they, you know, block streets, and shout things. And the whole purpose of being an activist is to make people uncomfortable with the status quo because most people are fine with the status quo. It's like, you know, women can't vote, but women have never been able to vote. Why should we change that? Yeah. You know, it's like saying, well, the trash can has always been right where it is in the, in the kitchen. Why do I have to move my trash can? It's, it's not broken. It's not broken enough for me to change it. Right. People are very, very stubborn about changing anything. And activists just make you so uncomfortable with the status. You're like, fine. Okay. We'll try it your way. Stop. But the, the activist has to be matched by a politician. See, imagine that public uh, sentiment is a boulder. And the boulder doesn't want to move. It's got inertia. And activists are flinging their bodies against the boulder and shrieking on one side. The politicians on the opposite side of the boulder knocking pebbles out of the way and digging a little trench. Mm -hmm. So it'll be fine over. It won't be so bad. You know, legalizing pot. It's like, well, we'll set up an agency and we'll tax it and we'll regulate it. And it'll be, we'll, we'll, we'll work it out, you know. And so while the activists are shrieking about, about you know, change, we must change. Politicians say, it won't be, it'll be okay. Uh, and that's why activists make terrible politicians and politicians make terrible activists, but they have to work together. Yeah. So are saying they're opposite sides of the same conversation um, and, and they're very important. So, so we, now we're talking about how, how government works and you got this mass in the middle that maybe they want to change. Maybe they don't want to change. Maybe some of them do. Some of them are unconscious. Uh, translate that into a blockchain experience. You look at something like um, Ethereum, which is an amazing piece of technology. I mean, when you work with Ethereum, it is like, like being a caveman and suddenly you're in an airplane. It's like, I'm in a chair in the sky, like a god. <laughs> like, I mean, Ethereum is incredible. And yeah, it's got limits because everything humans build have limits. And one of the limits of Ethereum was that the code is the law. And um, a couple of years ago, they had the DAO uh, hack where like 14% of all Ethereum was in this one contract that was getting robbed. Um, because of just, you know, how it was written, um, there was a vulnerability and they had to fork the chain after agonizing over it because, wait, we thought the code was the law and now the code's not the law. Well, which is it? And so that was like a one-time special thing because it was so big, but they've never done it since. And that's why you've got Ethereum Classic and regular Ethereum. So people said, I know I can't live with this. We said the code was the law and that's what it means. Mm -hmm. So they, they went and did that. Um, and then more recently, the Parity Wallet had a couple of different problems with it, one of which was a Parity Wallet bug that caused 300 million US dollars worth of Ether to get stuck. And they haven't forked for that. That stuff, that money is still you know, lost, quote unquote. I mean, it's just sitting there on the chain taunting them because they can see it, it's there. You just, there's literally no legal transaction you can enter to be executed that will make it move. And they refer to any such attempt as an irregular state change. Mm -hmm. 
which from their perspective is exactly what it is because the code is no longer the law. What is the whims of Vitalik, the mob? And so it's the inability or, or the struggle, I should say, to make collective decisions. That is a huge challenge uh, for, for blockchains now. I mean, we've gotten over earlier challenges like they don't exist or, uh, you know, Bitcoin doesn't, isn't accepted. Well, now it's accepted. They do exist. Now Ethereum does amazing things. So what's the next? Having solved old problems, we create new problems. What are the new problems? Well, the new problems have to do with collective decision-making. Who are the stakeholders? How do they decide? What are the limits of their power? And those are great questions. And humans have been struggling with collective decision-making since the first, you know, tribe uh, had a decision to make. You know, and it's like, well, shall it be the, the alpha male hits people until they agree? That's monarchy. Uh, should we sit around and talk about it for a long time? That's, you know, democracy slash mob rule. Shall the elders decide? You know, the elders all like that. Uh, and within theory, we know something. Uh, but having a system is, is important. And it's hard to set up, especially when you're in the middle of a dispute already, because anything anybody suggests is going to be viewed as, well, you just suggest that idea because you, you'll win. What about my interests? So how do you create fairness? I think the answer is you created your system of governance at the inception before you write your code. You've got to decide how, what's going to be the theory of, of change. And so I'm, I'm active on the EOSIO software system. And we've got a theory that says that token holders own the chain, that when you own tokens, you own a pro rata share of the chain's resources for bandwidth for CPU. You don't burn up tokens to use those things. You, you stake them. You say, hey, I own you know, one, 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 one thousandth of 1% one of all tokens, and I want to use some CPU right now, and most other people are asleep or not using any. And so you know, if, I stoke two, if I stake two tokens, somebody else stakes four tokens, they get twice as much CPU as I do of what's available. And then if I don't ask for it, he gets all of it. And so you can see how the system can balance the, the competing needs uh, using a property model and property rights, which is kind of an exciting concept. Um, and then when you're done with CPU, you unstake the tokens, they become liquid again, you can sell them, transfer them to a friend, whatever. And the token as the, the unit of ownership, you end up voting much like we do in corporations. You know, you, it's one share, one vote for General Motors or Nike. Uh, the more shares, more voting shares, of course, you own, the more uh, power you have to affect the outcome. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, and, and that does mean we have a plutocracy because the people with more money have more power, much like the rest of society, I suppose you could say. Uh, and... But, it, but it's deterministic, right? I mean, if there were a DAO hack or a, or a parity wallet bug for us, um, we, have, we have these three elements. We've got the legislature, I just mentioned the token holders can vote on policy. We've got block producers who are elected by token holders who have all the executive power and actually have superpowers to do all sorts of big changes to the chain. But they're only permitted to do it if the legislature votes for like a state change, or if an arbitrator in a specific case rules in a certain way. So for the DAO hack, somebody might say, my, my contract, my DAO contract's out of control, please stop it, make it stop right now, freeze it. You go to an arbitrator, get an emergency order, block producers would just block the transactions in and out of that account until you could sort out what the heck is going on. Um, 
in the case of the parity wallet, you could just say, um, I, I have here the Ricardian contract for my smart contract. And the Ricardian contract, of course, is the English language version of whatever your smart contract code says. But in the English language, it says what your intentions are, because you can't say that in code except maybe in comments. So the Ricardian contract, which you digitally sign, does not say, please destroy my money. <laughs> yeah. And so you could go to the arbitrator and say, this is not what I agreed to. Yeah. The wallet author could say, totally true. I didn't intend that. That's not the correct behavior for this code. And what that allows you to do is let the intention of the code over outrank the actual execution. So it's not the code is the law. The intention is the law. But you Which have a process through arbitration to do it in an orderly, methodical way that people could feel comfortable and safe about. Yeah, and when that's also a huge improvement over the, the, the contract law we have now where the intention doesn't matter so much, whereas, you know, you have this long convoluted thing. Well, I'm not going to promise that we're not going to have some, some convoluted stuff. I mean, it, it's, it's humans in dispute, and we're going to have, yeah. you know, rules of dispute resolution. There's going to be an arbitration forum and an arbitration rule set and someone somewhere is going to say, this isn't fair mm -hmm. because how they understood it and how you understood it are two different things. It's like, can't fix human nature, man, but at least I can keep the blockchain safe. But and this is the, this is that, yeah, this is that step where human nature now has a tool to not, it's not going to fix it, but maybe this tool can improve it or streamline it or make it more yeah, visible. Help this somehow. Help yeah. Mediate, yeah. Because we've still got all the benefits of blockchain. We've still got, you know, it's, it's multiple block producers running in parallel, duplicating each other's work. So we're highly, highly fault resistant. It's heavy, heavy encryption. Um, you've got private, we have private key recovery now, which is nice. Mm -hmm. So when you get you, when you register your, yourself on the chain, you would designate, you know, your brother and your sister and maybe your most responsible child as, you, as three people that who could recover your key for you if you ever lost it. And then you end up like recycling some hard drive like that guy in England did who's got like two hundred million dollars yeah. worth of Bitcoin. Uh -huh. The only guy is that he threw away. It's like, oh. At the bottom of some landfill in England, there's a hard drive that if it's still readable, has those keys on them. Yes, there's people digging through dumpsters as digging we speak. Dumpsters, man. <laughs> that's the only way to get those keys back if you don't mm -hmm. the Bitcoin are lost forever. Well, that's that's not a commercial grade product. You're not going to sell that at retail to your grandmother. Uh, I, so key recovery is actually pretty important. And of course, it's going to have time delays and some safety to it. And people could abuse that. You've got to have safeguards against abuse because mm -hmm. we're humans. Uh, but again, we, we've got through the governance process, we, we go from a purely code-based system, which when the code misbehaves, you can be in really bad shape, to a more political system, which gives you at least some hope of recovering from certain classes of technical errors. Doesn't solve every theft, doesn't solve every bug, uh, doesn't make everybody whole. But it, I, I think that, and I think that the early adopters and some people have said that they're going to use our, 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 our software, indicate that we've improved performance well enough and we fixed a certain class of failure cases well enough through governance uh, to make it a much safer experience that people can build real applications on, not just CryptoKitties and ICOs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I imagine a lot of folks are thinking, well, if you don't burn tokens with transactions, how do you prevent spam and overuse? And the answer is rate limiting, rate limiting. So you don't have unlimited tokens that you've staked for bandwidth. And so if the chain's really busy, 
and you try to push in more transactions than is your fair share, they get dropped on the floor. They don't happen. And it's up to you or your application to monitor to see, okay, I submitted this transaction, but did it stick? Did it make it into an irreversible block? Just like you have to check with Bitcoin as well. Uh, so there's a certain amount of user interface work there on the client side to, okay, I submitted it, but is it real? Uh, and that's how you prevent spam. The um, ability to recover passwords, the ability to recover from mistakes. You can't send your ETH to the wrong wallet and have it disappear forever. Uh, you know, this send is, a token to a, to a contract that doesn't know how to handle that token and it's, it's gone. Exactly. It's like buy a Coke from a Coke machine and you somehow stick the Coke into the quarter slot and then it just lodges there and you can't get your Coke back. It's like, who would design a device like this? And the answer is apparently a whole lot of Solidity programmers. <laughs> well, and, and it was, and it's, it's cool because ETH broke the ground and they built this and they did all this um, wonderful work, groundbreaking, wonderful work that has been amazing. And, and then it's given um, the EOS community and people like Dan the opportunity to see and test and we then hope. like you, and then, and then, and then put the governance in place first so that we have this opportunity at something built from the ground level that is possibly um, more scalable, more user-friendly, et cetera. Yeah. yeah, on the technical side, we, we run faster. Um, on the governance side, I think we run safer, arguably. Uh, mm -hmm. Time will tell. Um, and from a centralization, decentralization perspective, if you consider a mining pool to be a single entity, which in some ways they are, uh, we're actually even more decentralized. Mm -hmm. so, that's kind of cool. We're a lot greener. We don't burn up, you know, produce greenhouse gases by the vast amounts that the yeah. Bitcoin and Ether do. Yeah, and that's one of the common arguments is that EOS is centralized and that it has a mutable blockchain and so that these people are going to take it over and change it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, I, there's, a, there's a lot of theory in place right now. They could take, why don't, why don't the miners, the, the centralized uh, uh, mining pools do that in Bitcoin? There's $18 million a day at stake there. And they because the, the incentives are built correctly. I, so I believe that the incentives are built correctly and hopefully with EOS. And, and you know, that's going to, we, we think they are, um, you know, block producers don't have unlimited power. It would take 15 of them to do anything. And if the thing they did was truly wicked, it could be um, in a really serious case, like Byzantine failure. We could actually, I mean, you, you can, anybody can fork anything. We could fork the chain and, and fire those guys and whoever voted for them could be disenfranchised and their tokens frozen. Yeah. So there are, you know, there's sort of like way out on the edge cases, but they are cases. There are defenses. You know, you don't want to have to use them. Yeah. But the defenses do exist against certain pretty significant attacks, uh, more so than I think folks want to give it credit for. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if it's true that centralization is an issue, why are the mining pools okay? Well, maybe they're not. Uh, and if centralization is not that big an issue, then why are we even talking about it? Um, and if 21 is, you know, too few, well, how about one? Why is, you know, Facebook is super centralized. They've got one person to kidnap or torture or mm -hmm. blackmail. You know? So why is Facebook still operating? Oh, maybe centralization is not the, you know, kidnapping and extortion or maybe edge cases beyond edge cases. Well, again, we will find out. I don't know. I'm dubious, but my dubiousness doesn't prevent reality from unfolding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this is, this is. I mean, it swung so far to let's decentralize everything, and then right, the, and it's yeah. highly, highly effective. I mean, Bitcoin and Ethereum are extremely secure. Uh, I actually read something uh, intriguing about 
Uh, not that fast. Now, one fellow wrote on Medium a very persuasive and interesting post suggesting that you know, he really does think that Ethereum is way safer, way more secure. Um, so his plan is to run transactions on EOS and then periodically do inter-blockchain communication and post the state back over to Ethereum where it's immutable hmm. to his satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And I suspect that after a few months, he's going to find that that's a waste of time. He could just run <laughs> EOS fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, maybe he's not. Um, and that's a really clever and interesting way to use the strengths of the two chains to your advantage. Yeah, that's it. And once the, once the interchain communication becomes more uh, straightforward and once it's the ground has been broken more on that, there's going to be a lot of interesting ideas that I could see popping up. You know, I, yeah. The use cases for interblockchain communication are just, they boggle my mind. <laughs> yeah. It could be, it could be really, really groundbreaking. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, you have a chain to yourself, thousand transactions per second of your own, and then you every ten minutes or two days or whatever your frequency is, you sync that up to some public chain, uh, and then you like keep running your private chain to, to be fast and, and you know great big pipes, all yours, wow. uh, blazing along, and then you can synchronize the state up appropriately when it feels right to you based on your app. Mm-hmm. Plus, yeah. then you got some pretty good secrecy. Yeah, that's an absolute. Yeah, that's an absolute game changer when that comes about. Um, and it's interesting to think um, about what I keep hearing these interesting use cases that it's, I can't talk about yet. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, <laughs> some I can. Yeah, um, it's amazing. So, in a bigger picture thing, this is this is a personal question I wanted to ask you because it's it's. Um, we're in such a groundbreaking time, and so much is changing, and I just can't get over this thought of the initial constitution for the United States being written and these, these group of people coming together, sharing ideas, writing this down. And well, yeah, people who have been in government before, most of them had been elected to their, to, you know, run their states or, or run their colonies that mm-hmm. several of them had written constitutions previously. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'd written the articles of confederation previously. So this was like their third or fourth draft. I mean, they were working off of a pretty good experience base and it was still groundbreaking and it was still, I mean, it's still to this day is transcendent. Absolutely. And I wonder what they were at that point thinking about the longevity of what they're writing, what it would be in the future. And, and, and so how, I, yeah, how long can this last? Yeah. yeah. And so I, I compare the time and the, what you've put into writing with the, with a big community, this EOS constitution. And yeah. have you had those thoughts of, have you thought of how long could this last? What if this is around 500 years from now? I, is that yeah. some, well, cope, Ball will be around 500 years. Bitcoin will probably be around for 500 years. I don't think that my constitution or the constitution that I helped to draft is going to last in its current form necessarily all that long. Um, but I do think that it's based on enough uh, good principles that its foundations will last uh, as long as the chain does. I mean, we've got property rights in there. We've got the uh, requirement for uh, non-fraud Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no use of force and fraud. I mean, f- fundamentals that humanity's recognized for thousands of years, and that were articulated uh, in the in the 1700s by a number of French, English, and other philosophers uh, that have been the foundation for the greatest advances in human civilization. Uh, in the rights to private property, the right, the right to uh, due process, uh, the rights of individuals you know, in the face of group pressure. Uh, all tremendous, tremendously important. Uh, and being able to encode that with a blockchain that it's going to be very hard for anybody to use force against is very cool. 
Uh, and and I, I can't wait to, to be able to bring, you know, banking to the unbanked around the world and property rights to people who've never really had been secure in their property. And um, the ability to collaborate and cooperate with people you've never met, knowing that it's extremely hard for them to rip you off, that the only way forward is through cooperation. If it's like cooperate or defect, that's one thing. But if it's cooperate or the system doesn't do anything, I guess I'll just cooperate. Yeah. That's neat. Uh, yeah. And we can build some really interesting cooperative systems out there. You'll be able to, I, I think you'll at some point soon, you'll own the data about yourself. Uh, advertisers will have to pay you for your attention, not pay Facebook, uh, or maybe in addition to Facebook, that you'll own your own credit history, you'll own your own medical records, um, that the this current stampede towards centralization and um, centralized, unaccountable, power uh, is being fought. And it's being fought increasingly effectively with technology tools as well as through, I think, uh, through dialogue and uh, the warfare of the mind uh, and uh, a sense that this is unacceptable, the, the current state of excessive centralization and having the, you know, Facebook, Google, Amazon uh, own, own us and sell us as products against our Let's let's not against our will, but without our compensation. Uh, yeah, and so as as, see the way the way out is to outcompete them. I don't want to outlaw them. I don't want to give the government the power. I want to give you and me the power. I want to outcompete them and, de and out decentralize them, and just eat their lunch. I want to see a great big empty Google building with mm -hmm. like you know uh, one of those little little uh, tumbleweeds in front of it and. Like, <laughs> Nobody like a ghost town, like Google ghost town. Oh, that's great. That reminds me. People ask me what I what I do often, and I've got sometimes I don't have time to answer. And I say I'm I'm taking down Google and Facebook and YouTube and all them. They say what? I said and replace them with something better. <laughs> exactly. Not, not, not to destroy them, but to, but to offer the users something so much better that everybody leaves. Replacing, yeah, replacing with something better and solve the underlying need, but solve it in a way that's better for for all the stakeholders. That's and better for the users and has more transparency, more control over our own private data. Better for the advertisers. How many advertisers spend money on fake clicks? Most yeah. of them. Yeah, people have exactly. said as much as half of the money earned by uh, people with display ads are never seen by people. There, it's it's this automated theft. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that um, basically taking the middleman out of the advertising and, and the person you're advertising to is getting the benefit and the yeah. advertisers getting hey, the benefit. Hey, if I'm going to buy a car in the next few months and I tell, hey, look, I'm probably going to buy a car. Um, so I'm willing to look at your ad if you pay me. And if I never buy a car, I never get the money. Mm -hmm. That's fair. I shouldn't be able to spoof you. Uh, yeah. if I, you know, and if I do buy the car, as I said I was going to, and hey, look, you had your chance to get in front of me and you spent a lot less and you talk to a highly qualified buyer who went on to purchase. Mm -hmm. In fact, you might even, I might even tell you like what I hated about your ad. You could stop doing that nonsense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Make it so it's mean, a much gosh, more human I, interaction, isn't it? <laughs> oh, wow. If I, if I were selling anything commercially um, and I could have that kind of dialogue with people or even one tenth of the hundredth of the people who saw my ads and they would say, look, this is really stupid. I hate this part. I, I stopped watching right here. Mm -hmm. This is insulting. Uh, and I bought this other guy's stuff because of this and this. It's like, thank you. Thank you. Here, here, take my money. 
I'd much rather give money to that person for their honesty than give it to Google for selling me robot clicks. And it's great to think about on the user end as well. There's some advertising that you may want to see. Like you said, if you're buying a car, oh then you want gosh, to see, yes. then go ahead, send me. Yeah. Next time you're in the market for a car, notice how many car ads suddenly appear around you that were always there, but you didn't see them because mm -hmm. you tuned them out. Yeah. That's called the reticular activating system. So the yeah. pea-sized part of the brain, very effective at filtering things in or out. When you buy a white Jeep, you drive down the road, there's white Jeeps everywhere you look. Why? Because suddenly they're in, not out. So what are your thoughts on this, the uh, transparency versus privacy as far as right now, it's almost as if um, we have no privacy to the corporations like Facebook and Google. They know more about me than I may know about myself. Probably. And uh, so to make myself now private isn't necessarily going to do a lot. And it's kind of like the fix is to make it fully transparent on both sides. So I know all the information that's out there about me and have control over it. Um, does that make sense? The, the, I like the idea of that, you know, I might have a profile that's collected, but I get to see it. Mm -hmm. And I get to say who else sees it. And I get to say how much I get paid for them seeing it. Mm -hmm. Um, whether certain things should be collected about me or not and opt out of those things. And I mean, right now, all this information about me is subsidizing my use of these free services of Google, Facebook, Amazon, so forth. Not Amazon so much. Uh, but, wow, what if we let you, like, run your life? What if we let you own your data? I mean, you to the extent you want to see ad advertisements related to stuff you were intending to buy anyway, you'd probably opt in. You might. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's a little counterintuitive, but it's almost that full transparency is the only way to fix the, the well, privacy issue. Maybe. The ZK snarks are really interesting. We're getting very speculative here. Yeah. But there, there are abilities for, for data about me to be hidden. You can never see the data, but you can get a, a definitive provable yes or no uh, on certain facts about me that I choose to let you know. Mm -hmm. um, and those zero knowledge proofs are just, I, I had to like read about those and read about them and listen to a podcast about them and they still don't fully live up here yet mm -hmm. in my head. Um, but man, the, the thought that we can provably um, assert or deny something without ever giving away more data, more facts than we want to mm -hmm. um, and, and satisfy a request. Does this person have a criminal record? Yes or no. Does this person, did he buy the car that he said he was going to buy? Yes or no. Um, and I think that's some of what um, NS James and Scatter, some of what their use cases is, is they're signing transactions, validating pieces of information uh, through, the, through the Scatter. Um, yeah, right. So if you want to send a transaction to a blockchain, obviously you have to sign it. Otherwise, it's going to show up there. and going to say, well, whose is this from? This just doesn't, there's no authorization here. Uh, and so having god i tell you if you want to know where the action is going to be for tough interesting creative challenges key management as we enable people to have public keys and actually use them for something key management is going to be a bitch it's going to be hard to make good interfaces it's going to be hard to keep them secure a lot of the uh, phones are, are starting to build secure enclaves hardware to support it but it's still not going to be easy um, and it's going to be it's, it's going to be an interesting challenge area, and whoever can make some good progress on that, I think is going to do humanity a lot of good and also you know, they get a lot of love. Yeah, maybe, maybe some money to be made there. Uh, NS James, I think, has done amazing work on that front.
Yeah, he does. He has absolutely. You know, he works in his spare time on that. He has a full time job. Oh, does he really? That's and amazing. He's doing all that. Yes, he does all of this in his spare time because he loves the EOS project. And he loves the community, and he just and he's also really really good. And I imagine wow. it's you know relatively easy for him. He's um, up. He, that that explains why he's up at, at all hours. <laughs> crazy <tonight>. hours. Yeah. <laughs> And such a contribution. Uh, I'm hoping that our worker proposal system will come online in the next six to 12 months and there'll be a revenue stream and, and the community can pay him yeah. to work on that and other things full time. Man, I'd love that. And I, and when that worker proposal um, system comes online, it hopefully can attract more quality, high quality developers. Like him. absolutely. Absolutely. Friends, gotta, like, hey, I get paid now. <laughs> Yeah, there's a, a team um, from the community uh, who are working with me on a very sort of slow-moving project. It's not there's not a rush to flesh out what questions the worker proposal system has to answer, um, and how will it be run, and how will we make sure that money once it's sent out actually gets results. Um, and fortunately, there've been three, at least two or three other blockchain systems created uh, dash is one I forget what the other two are we haven't written down uh, that have fairly elaborate they don't call them worker proposal systems but that's essentially what they are is a fund set aside for the improvement of their chain and they sure enough need oversight issues. they have oversight issues how do you propose how do you get a yes or a no how do you refine the proposal to get to a yes how do you you know prove progress so you can get your next payment because you don't want to just give them all the money Mm-hmm. If you want, if you want a bunch of money up front before you do any work, go do an ICO. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's that was one of the um, the questions a lot of people have on the surface when they first hear about worker proposals is how are you going to prevent someone you know something like Caltrans coming out and just kind of you know they're working and hanging out and um, you know milking milking their milking their dollars. So, um, but yeah, that that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah, it? or or whales that that invent you know fictitious or you know quasi serious projects and then and use their own tokens to vote themselves money from the treasury yeah um, you know you want to reinvent the welfare state or the corporate welfare state yeah absolutely could well, be a risk. yeah it sounds like that but with an oversight group that pay, possibly even a worker proposal that pays for an oversight group is which is, is what dash did is yeah. they created essentially a project management office a pmo mm-hmm. which i think would be a brilliant idea um I also imagine, I mean, Ethereum has the Ethereum Foundation. We'll probably end up with some sort of foundation mm-hmm. uh, to, to hold things like the repository to uh, do certain kinds of things that really no other entity could do uh, for our collective uh, endeavor here. Uh, and what exactly that looks like and who's on it, I have the faintest idea, uh, but it's going to be really interesting. And the BPs will also have an opportunity to fund a lot of the worker proposals as well. Is that right? Uh, well, not exactly. So the, here's the default behavior of the software as it's written today. Uh, inflation is fixed at 5% annually, which is about 4.879% per on a per block basis. It's like you, if you compound 4.879 every half second, okay. it comes to 5.00% annual inflation um got the math on that yeah and so um at this approximately five percent inflation you're getting uh uh, two unequal streams four percent goes into worker proposals in the default setting one percent goes off to block to block 
producers. So the worker proposal fund itself is funded directly daily from just block awards. Oh, that's great. I didn't realize that nuance. From the, from the inflation. Now, if a uh, particular block producer wanted to court public favor by being generous and funding a project that benefited everybody equally, that's kind of like uh, a rich merchant would buy or would build a, a lighthouse. And a lighthouse benefits every boat out there. Mm-hmm. And if you were the guy that built and maintains the lighthouse, everyone kind of knows you're doing that. And that's kind of cool. And people are like, you know, I didn't wreck the other day because of you. That's kind of cool. Um, and there's a way in which that kind of um, generosity uh, of truly benefiting the entire public equally or more or less equally, but that's what you know, uh, open source projects do, right? It's, it's, nobody owns it. It's, um, a lot of what NS James is doing is very much like that. So if someone were to say subsidize NS James and NS James continued to do open source work, hint, hint, mm-hmm. uh, I'll be thinking, wow, that's really, I, I personally am benefiting directly or indirectly from the generosity of block producer X. I'm so glad that block producer is winning. Maybe I'll continue voting for him. Uh, and so that's one way that the chain as a whole benefits from the, self-interested quote generosity unquote of block producer and i see that i've seen that go ahead i see that in a good example of that in um in steemit with the with the um with the 21 witnesses and a lot of the witnesses they'll run high profile community projects like steemit chat and so you know people are in there using steemit chat all the time and this is run by this one witness and so people he naturally gets votes due to the fact that he's doing this good for the entire community. yeah doing an extra thing um which makes everybody better off and you know it, it makes you makes you feel incentivized to to flip some boats that way uh, and that that to me is pretty virtuous because you're not restricted from using the chat based on how you did or didn't vote yeah absolutely you know that's not a bribe it's it's a gift correct yeah that's and, a, that's very very important by the way legally because the vote producer action in the system contract for eos says i have not and will not receive anything of value in exchange for this vote so the exchange the quid pro quo is crucial Mm-hmm. If uh, if you happen to vote for somebody who you happen to like because of something nice they're doing, totally legit. If you're voting because they promised to pay you or they already paid you some some tokens or something like oh, that only goes to vote people who vote for them, that's a bribe. It's illegal. You can get your tokens confiscated. You can get your account frozen. It can be bad news really fast. Yeah, which is which which brings up a good point is that you you kind of led the charge as far as. Uh, stepping out early and saying, hey, uh, vote buying or vote selling or bribery is illegal. It's going to be part of the Constitution. It's out. It's out. And, and that's a, that was a choice. That was, a, that was really um, – uh, there are two shelling points. Uh, I'm a big fan, by the way. highly recommend this book, if anybody's interested, by Thomas Schelling called Strategy of Conflict. Strategy of Conflict. I've got it currently. And um, brilliant thinker. Uh, he talks about how people can coordinate with each other even when they're on opposite sides of the game. Yeah, it's, just, it's amazing thinking. Uh, he's done experiments. He's got all kinds of really, really rich game theory. Game theory was all about cooperative games and, and prisoner's dilemmas before he wrote this book. Mm-hmm. Really blew the doors off game theory. 
Uh, and I'm finding it very, very interesting. And it also explains, a lot of what he writes explains why the block producers are so cooperative with each other even as they compete with each other because you can only hold at most one seat. The mm -hmm. other 20 will be held by somebody. Do you want to piss them off? Yeah. No. Do you want to be seen being a bit of a dick? No. Um, okay. Would you benefit from being helped technically by these nice, you're going to be nice to, and they'll be nice to you because A, you'll look better, and B, you may have to work with them. Yeah, actually. Hmm. Uh, so now things might get a little less nice post-voting. You know, once we go live, things there might be some acrimony or something. <laughs> So a little bit uh, tenser, but for now, people are super sweet to each other. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm digging it, actually. Yeah. I don't know. Just, Hopefully it continues like that. We'll see. I, think it's, I think there'll be some, some momentum behind the niceness. Mm -hmm. And I, I mentioned shelling uh, around the vote buying because a shelling point is a natural point of coalescing around decision-making or, or consensus or coordination. And a community can pick... Uh, vote buying is okay, or they could pick vote buying is not okay, but they can't pick both. Mm -hmm. And we were sort of in the middle of picking both. We're like, a lot of folks were beginning to advertise on their block producer websites and marketing pages, we'll pay more for your votes than anybody else will pay, which is a normal thing to say on LISC or other proof of stake chains that involve voting. Um, because over there, the community has normalized around an, an approach. And we realized very clearly that vote buying would rob the community of thoughtful votes and replace them with selfish, self-centered, short-time thinking, uh, greedy votes. It's like, oh, as long as I get paid, I don't care what happens to the chain. It's like, really? Do you want everyone playing that game? Mm -hmm. um, and so I invented what I'm calling the harpoon. And the harpoon is simply this. If a whale chooses to break the rules and offer to sell their many, many votes for a share of your block producer award or do anything else untoward with their riches um, and you catch them and you have proof of it, you can take their wickedness in front of an arbitrator and you could and should, in my opinion, be entitled to a percentage of whatever is confiscated from the whale. Big slice of blubber right off the back. And now that whale might be, you know, chastised with a 10% haircut and let go this time with a stern warning. Uh, but I tell you, if you've got 10 million tokens, you don't want to lose a million. Yeah, well, yeah. There's going to be, call me Ishmael, there's going to be people out there um, hunting, <laughs> whale hunting. Very much, exactly. And, I, and I've just incentivized a case where if you are a whale and you start to think about colluding, every potential collusion partner might be angling to turn you in yeah. in exchange yeah. for a chunk of your hide. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm really looking forward to the first case. I, the way to keep crows out of your garden is to kill a crow and nail its corpse to a post. <laughs> All the crows look at that and go, yeah, he's serious down there. Yeah, We're not, yeah. nah, I don't think so. We're not going to go down there. Get a little, little smelly, but man, it's, it's, a, it's a good illustration. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm sorry to all the animal cruelty folks out there, but hey, it works, okay? Uh, and in an analogous fashion, I really want to find a greedy, stupid-sized whale who can be taken in for arbitration and have a big chunk taken out of him in a very public way. And the rest of the world's going to go, 
oh my gosh, they're serious. Yeah. And I'll say, yes, we were. We were yeah. and we are and we will be. And so our whales will be well behaved <laughs> because there are harpoons available in the form of arbitration, the Constitution, the Ricardian contracts. Um, your, your behavior is constrained by the contracts you sign when you issue certain statements. When you vote, you are signing a Ricardian contract. That, and that, that's, that's an interesting point. That, that Ricardian contract actually says that I will not buy votes. I won't sell I will. I will. I, I stipulate I have not and will not receive anything of value in exchange for voting this way. And it's like, yeah so it's it's a it's a it's a social norm and and that's another part of this is that it, it becomes a social norm it becomes yeah it's, it's it looked down uncouth. upon in general and, and yeah. that is almost as powerful i mean that's that's yes. the other part of the power of this is not just the uh disincentive but also you don't want to yes. be that guy you know so uh, yeah exactly because remember there's four ways we can influence behavior in general um, and one of them is, is legal forces coming in from this side. Um, there's the code coming in from that side. But there's also societal forces. It's like, you know, I don't want to lose reputation. I don't want people to look at me funny. I don't want to be that guy that, you know, maybe he got, he got off on a technicality, but everybody knows he was selling votes. Mm -hmm. And it's like kind of disreputable. Mm -hmm. um, and, who, you know, who wants that? Uh, and so the four forces, this is the, the Lawrence Lessig model, it's legal forces, social forces, the code itself, and then market forces coming out of the north. And, you know, we got the code, and the market forces over in Bitcoin, very effective in securing that blockchain. Well, we've got code and market forces here as well, but we augment them with legal and social forces that are organized uh, and put into action to uh, provide additional protection for the users. Uh, and that is, I think, that's one way of looking at governance, and it's a big deal. That's why we've got an executive, a legislative, and a judicial, is to have the legal, and also really that social uh, sense of, look, here's how we're going to behave in this society that we're creating. And there's a, a, a high possibility of some sort of um, reputation system. Am I right? They could, that should uh, Yeah, there's an identity system already uh, in the system contract, um, and it can be used for reputation, and certainly your transaction history is going to be there. And if you get taken up for arbitration and lose arbitration cases, um, th those will, most of them will most likely be public. Uh, there are cases where arbitration does need to be um, private. Uh, and that's decided by the arbitrator on a case by case basis. Um, you know, things that are sensitive, things that would, even if you win the case, if it were public, it would embarrass you in ways that would be harmful. Or there could be an intellectual property case where publishing the content of the case is like, well, that was stupid. Yeah. You know, oh, look, here are trade secrets that we fought over in arbitration, and here they all are in the public. Is that, no, 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 no. You don't do that. Uh, so, yeah, the, the arbitration can be used in so many different ways for so many different cases that making it um, up to the discretion of the arbitrator is the correct thing to do. Uh, in terms of how much the public gets informed. So it's it's uh, uncouth and not uh, it's it, you're not allowed to sell votes or buy socially votes. and legally unacceptable socially. to buy or sell votes. What about I had a concept of what if a block producer is spending their entire one percent on on advertising um, and just blanketing the market with advertising? Is that what, what would be Boy, your take? I hope they're keeping enough back to pay for. 
I hope they've got enough for servers and salaries because yeah. you're not producing many blocks with no computers and no staff. So you um, think that uh, you think well, that the margin for block producers, if things go as we've modeled them, should be pretty generous. Mm -hmm. So you could you know cover your costs and have. Let's see. I would not be surprised if you see an active block producer with an income of four million U.S. dollars a year and costs of about a million. So mm -hmm. that'd be three million to play with pay off their debts or their borrowings or whatever, advertise market, give NS James a stipend, uh, okay. contribute to the Enos uh, Foundation, uh, uh, do other, you know, socially beneficial things. And yeah, market and advertise, um, you know, hire a community engagement staff, uh, hire a, a token holder outreach person. This is going to be a lot like being a congressman and having, you know, community staffers who go around and find out who the heck are these token holders and what the heck do they want so I can do it so they'll vote for me. Do you um, think there's any... need to know that, and I, to this, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, know who they are. I don't know what they want. Comparing it to uh, uh, a political campaign is interesting. I'm wondering if there would be incentives... They are for, voted in. Yeah, and for some, some outside funding to come into a block producer and, and, and you know, campaign contributions... Uh, yeah, I, I find that you and I don't tend to write campaign checks for people running for office in Sardinia. Yeah. Not really affected by them. Yeah. Um, and so, I suppose outside money could try to sway elections on our chain. But like, why would you bother? So-called outside money is often inside money. Mm -hmm. It's people who will be affected by the result of the race. Yeah. You know, if you want to get money out of elections, take power out of politics. Mm -hmm. yeah. Decentralize the government. Yeah, you know, you got a government that gives away billions of dollars in, in corporate welfare every every year, and then it's surprising that one tenth of that amount is recycled into donations. Mm -hmm. Of course, we yeah. have the finest congressman money can buy. That's just that's how we've set it up. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's sorry. A, I get no. That's I mean I, I I'm right on board with you, and I guess that it's a it's a good a base point here is that there's not so much just extra money flying around out there that these, for one thing that a block producer is going to, it doesn't make economic sense to really buy votes. I mean, if you're paying, um, the numbers are weird. Um, so I, I've tried to run them a few times and by one bit of math, it would take like $200 million of cash to buy the tokens to earn yourself a block producer slot to make four million a year, yeah. So two, it's like two percent return. You can make better than two percent almost anywhere. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a silly use of money. Um, or you could, you know, use that money to try to sway one or more elections. But again, like in exchange for what exactly? Mm -hmm. Because if you, you know, have some wink and a nod arrangement with the block producer that I'll, I'll get you an office in exchange for something. Well, what's the something going to be that I can legally do? Because if it's illegal, I'd think I'd be better off just turning you in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm the block, I'm the clean block producer. I've, t I've pulled your fangs. You can't vote for my opponent now. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll play along and record the conversations mm -hmm. and, uh, and, then, and then rat you out. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what I would be very tempted to do if I were in those shoes.
Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the incentives there, the incentives there are really just so well thought out. I think that, you know, a lot of these issues come out. The division of labor is very strong. You have to control mm -hmm. somehow 15 block producers to get any wicked thing done. Mm -hmm. It only takes one block producer who's honest to fork the chain, fire all of you, mm -hmm. uh, and restart the chain with honest producers. Now that's hard to do, but it's technically feasible. It is kind of a it's kind of like, you know, we're going to get in our boats and sail to America, uh, you know, on the, on the Mayflower. <laughs> it's a big deal. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying we should do it trivially, but, you know, corrupting 15 or 16 block producers is not trivial either. Yeah. So if the, if the, if the nuclear war happens, the nuclear option is the option. Okay. Yeah. You fork. Mm -hmm. um, prior to that, what is corrupting two or three block producers earn you? They can't do anything. Yeah. So you're spending your money for nothing and you're putting yourself at wild risk. I, I'm not saying it won't happen. I'm saying I don't get it. Yeah. Uh, and maybe reality will teach me. Mm -hmm. So we'll see. Um, yeah. Meanwhile, we've got, you know, a thousand transactions per second approximately. We've got um, half second blocks. We've got self-describing interfaces. We've got a long list of people wanting to develop on us. Uh, we should be accumulating better and better developer tools on a daily basis. Um, so I, I'm very optimistic for the long-term future. And also the ability to port over from ETH over the span of maybe a week or so? Uh, it's unclear how long the snapshot will take. Oh, one thing I want to mention about governance and the evolution of blockchain. Right now, if you wanted to uh, upgrade Bitcoin, um, you can't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like yeah. Segwit. And, yeah. and block size increases. It's like, yeah, you, you, they just don't want to do it. Or Ethereum, you can do it, but it takes months or years. Um, because you don't know how to make collective choices, but it's possible, and I think it's likely, that we can be adding features on a quarterly or annual basis, like clockwork, if we can persuade the token holders to vote for it. We've got a way to make the decision and having made the decision, we have a, a method for enacting it that's non-forking. That's a big deal. And having a, a blockchain that can evolve rapidly because you've got governance to make the decisions and to get the clear yes or no. And, and, do, and so that even people who say no say, well, you know, I lost the vote, but it was a fair vote. Okay, fine, I'll go along, which we do with elections all the time. Uh, you know, I think that is a competitive advantage that is just, it's a, it's a hint. It's a hint. I think we will out-evolve Ethereum because we can pivot faster, we can add features faster, we can make changes faster. Um, and that's a huge deal. Yeah, I think that agility is a, is a huge deal. Um, I wanted to touch on two more, two more things here. Um, uh, one was about the uh, block producers and Bitfinex announcing their candidacy as a block producer. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And then, um, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, if you, what you want in a block producer is someone who can, uh, you know, run a data center, can run machines, who understands uptime. Uh, I guess from that perspective, it's good. Um, I'm confident Bitfinex are sophisticated enough that they've read the vote producer Ricardian contract that stipulates that they cannot vote their customers' tokens on their behalf, which has been done by other exchanges on other platforms, by the way. Um, I'm forgetting the, the, the specific, I think it was like in 2014 or something, but there was a, 
some kind of a token that could be used to vote for chain behavior. And then there was an exchange that used the tokens it was holding on behalf of customers mm-hmm. and voted them in its own interests. And that is in our Ricardian contract is illegal. That if you are an exchange, you can vote your your, your uh, customers' tokens if they have given you permission to. And you must have proof of that permission. In which case, you've just become, you've been named as a proxy, and that's fine. But, uh, so, my thought was, but I think we may have answered it, was that, uh, say, Bitfinex wants to offer you some sort of incentive to proxy your vote to them. Like, say, they will give you half-price trading, but then you're no. receiving something. No, 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 no. So, no. so no incentives. No. As, you've received something of value in exchange for the proxy, and that is a great way for Bitfinex to be our crow nailed it. <laughs> okay, that's wonderful. That, that's, that's a so, good answer to that question. Yeah, so, I'll have to make sure that the proxy contract is, makes it very clear that I have not, neither given nor received anything of value in exchange for this proxy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, would be another important one. Um, yes, don't, no, don't, don't even try. Don't even try. <laughs> well, be my crow. Maybe be my crow. if you try, then we'll make an yeah. example out of you. Like like nail that. your hide right up to a post, and you can look at it every day and go, yep, that's what happens when you break the rules on EOS. Yeah. Um, so one thing we've got going right now is we have a group that is making a voter interface so that we can all, us token holders, can come in and we can do the actual voting. Important, yeah. Now, I know that the, uh, some of the more sophisticated people can just vote with the command line interface, but boy, I wouldn't want an old person to have to do that, mm-hmm. you know, a non-developer. So even without a voter interface, I'm confident we can achieve the 15% voter turnout that we need to unlock chain behavior. Um, you have to have 150 million tokens voted for the unstake command to become unlocked. That's how we know which chain is the real chain. It's the one that all the voters showed up for. Mm-hmm. So even if you launched, you know, five competing chains all launched with different with the same or different snapshots only one of them would be the real one it's the one the voters coalesce around uh, and so that's what that 15 percent voter turnout requirement does so in terms of that being achieved uh, you know we need like 10 whales 12 whales and they've got staff who know how to do the command line i'm confident um so I think we'll achieve on unlock state without too much trouble. But we do want people to participate just in general uh, as part of the community engagement. Uh, and for that, we do need graphical voter interfaces. Um, and we've had some dialogue around that. We've had some whiteboard sessions and some thoughts. And I know the community, there's at least one project at work I've personally given money to uh, because I thought it was important enough that you know I, as a member of the community, wanted to support that. Uh, and I'm excited to see what happens with it. Uh, but it has to solve the key management problem, uh, and it has to be transparent and fair, because I think a voter interface that unfairly disadvantaged any block producer uh, would violate community norms and would be seen uh, in a very dim light. Fortunately, the folks on this particular project I'm thinking of uh, have a reputation for fairness and honesty, so I'm not too worried. Yeah, absolutely. And there's the the thought there is that the smallest um, difference in how the information is portrayed, like I mentioned in the, the notes, was that... Um, oh, user interfaces can really tweak behavior, yeah. 
And so uh, the question is like, how do they make sure that that is such a fair user interface that one block producer is not going to complain that, you know what, we were fifth on the list. And yeah, makes you, how, how does that yeah, work? It makes one guy glad he called himself, you know, triple A block producer. And the uh -huh. guy called himself triple Z. He feels like a clown because he's at the bottom of the list. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, some sort of randomization might be important. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not a user interface guy. I'm like the worst person in the world to ask this question of. Yeah. But, you know, I think that the block producers themselves will probably be very vocal yeah. if they feel that it's not fair. That's uh, true. That will help it be self-regulating, won't it? The interface designers will certainly um, feel, I imagine they'll feel some pressure to mm -hmm. meet the community uh, in, in the ground of fairness uh, and fair play. Um, I've said before, and I'll mention again, I think one of the first questions a voter should be asked is, what is the maximum number of block producers you would like to, to vote for inside of a given jurisdiction or geography? Set a number, and probably a number less than seven, uh, because that would mean uh, seven in one jurisdiction could be, make things awkward for the chain. Uh, six or fewer, it's easier to recover because you've got 15 outside. Mm -hmm. um, let's say you pick six. Okay, then you're probably going to only allow yourself, having done that, the interface should say, okay, so here are all of the block producers in China, pick six or fewer. And then, okay, here's the next geography, here's the next geography, until you get your 30 votes allocated. Uh, and do them in a random order or alphabetic order or whatever order you like, you know, Africa first and Asia second or something. Yeah, that uh, makes sense. The uh, geographical distribution is one of the most important. Uh, I think, yeah, we've been hammering on that. I think people get it. Um, I think voters get it. I think that's fair. Um, I know that a Chinese domiciled um, organization could easily create a presence in another jurisdiction and, and quite fairly, because if your server's in Poughkeepsie, as far as I'm concerned, you're in Poughkeepsie. Yeah. Right. That's that's where the physical laws. Yeah, I, I I view the all blockchains as being like a kind of like gossamer on top of tent posts, and the mm -hmm. posts have to hit the ground, but the chain is up above the ground. It's it's in this virtual space, but the block producers have to be anchored in reality as well as holding up that that cloth. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, yeah, you have to follow the rules of your, of your jurisdiction, which is why jurisdictions are important to us when we think about block producers. I know one guy who refused to operate a block producer in a particular jurisdiction because he thought that the prosecutors, the legal system, the prosecutors there were uh, untrustworthy and likely to uh, manufacture evidence to get convictions. He felt he'd seen that with other people and he just didn't trust them. He said, well, I don't trust him. What, what can we do? And I said, I don't operate there, would be my yeah. guess. And he up and picked another location for his servers for that very reason. I think it was a great idea. Um, that, that finding a place to, to house your server and to claim as your physical geography for your server is crucial. Mm -hmm. And the, the question is, how long do people have this bigger picture uh, theory in mind of wanting to distribute the block producers it's it's easy for us to realize how important it is now but say five or ten years down the road and everything's just run so smoothly and all of a sudden you know not a big music deal to my ears music yeah. to my ears tell me another one i love it <laughs> uh yeah i well i think that um we're always going to see the biggest holders hopefully uh being the most thoughtful mm -hmm. uh, because they've got the most to lose the most okay. at stake if you will 
Um, and I imagine that there's going to be, you know, some sort of consumer reports, you know, assessment of the you know, health of the blockchain. It's like we're getting a little concentrated in okay. Tasmania. You know, we've up, we're up to five in Tasmania. I'm just picking on the Tasmanians here. Uh, and, or, or something. Uh, and we, you know, we really got to watch out for that. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I think it, the community has to take responsibility for its own safety and its own health. Uh, and if we don't, we'll suffer the consequences. Well, and that's, that's, a, that's a beautiful thought. Bigger picture is that uh, in this movement, a lot of it is about personal responsibility and about taking care of ourselves and about making our own decisions and about uh, humans being um, morally accountable for the decisions they make. And yeah. the government is there not for those decisions. It's not there to take care of us in those ways. We Not to take your decisions away from you, but yeah. to protect you from the ill actions of others. Yeah. To the extent that that's possible to do. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that, that longer term, that's, that's interesting. So um, one of my final questions here is, is a bigger picture. I, I, it's more of a personal question for you. I wanted to know what the um, kind of most interesting difference culturally that you found, because you've been creating this constitution that's attempting to bridge gaps across the globe. And there's got to be some situations where in the United States, um, we think, oh, this is just normal. This is, of course, this would be in the Constitution. Then you kind of put it out there and bounce some ideas. And then there's other places that say, what do you? I, that, that's I, so. What was the what was the I, number I, one? I wish I'd kept better notes. <laughs> uh, gosh, several. Well, I'd say probably the vote buying one. Um, okay. And it was interesting because it wasn't that you know culture X was all about you know we we buy votes here. Stop that. Mm -hmm. Other people were saying, you know, that culture over there, they buy votes over there. You can't impose this on them. Okay. And I'm like, yeah, I can. <laughs> they can vote it out. I mean, the, the, you know, the community decides what constitution it adopts, but my draft, I can bloody well say that and, mm -hmm. and take a hard stand on it and advocate for it because I think I, I feel so strongly about it. Um, and I didn't have any community say, you know, in our culture, vote buying is okay, but I had plenty of people tell me that, you know, in that culture, it's okay. You shouldn't try to impose this on them. Oh, uh, what like, a funny dynamic. I'm they like, were, you know, if they, they were pointing want out to launch other. a different blockchain, that's the vote buying blockchain. They should go to LISC, mm -hmm. all right, because they do that already. <laughs> or they can launch, you know, EOS-corrupt. Yeah, there you go, go. Go crazy over there. You know, fork this software and go try it with a different value set if you want to. Yeah, and like you said, you're going to put it out into the community. You're going to set it free. And then but, and something's the road, going to happen. down the road, what is that? That's going to be a well, great thing to see how the globe interacts as almost. So are we, are we live or are we just recording right now? We are just recording. Okay. And how quickly can we get this out? Uh, about. Uh, is this going to it, be published before it, after launch? No, it takes uh, about two hours to upload and then another couple hours to get it on to upload it to YouTube okay. as well. So, so not, we won't be seeing this recording like three weeks post launch. No, we're talking about probably around 10 hours from now. Okay. Less than a day. Good. Yeah. So this is timely. So I'm very excited and pleased that um, a bunch of community members have chosen to uh, self-organize a review of all of the governance documents to raise up any new objections and to even suggest alterations to the governance documents, the constitution, the block producer agreement, the uh, arbitration agreement. Uh, and 
to me, this is the community taking ownership of the software and turning it from a set of defaults, which is all I can deliver, into a community-created reality. And even if they only change one comma, it becomes the community's creation at that point. And it's crucially important, right? There's no uh, you know, person on a white horse going to come ride to the rescue. The community must own the process. They must own the software. They must own the decisions uh, that we are making collectively. We have to own these governing documents because once they start operating, they're very hard to change. Uh, and, you, and you better think it through and go, you know, I'm willing to do, you know, 1% cap on block producers and 4% of the work proposal and no vote buying and 21 producers and da, 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 da all down the road. Uh, and so, okay, that's what I'm signing up for because once it's started it's going to take uh we have to get the referendum up and running which by the way is not in the default software on day one we'll need a referendum program uh, and then it'll take a vote of of the token holders to make any significant changes and that's going to be slow and difficult compared to changing defaults pre-launch so hugely important effort and i want to give a hat tip to uh, my friend mao from eos real uh, who noticed this need and he's like is anybody else going to do this? I'll do it. You know, yeah, just jumped in there. I'm like, thank you. I can't do that because I, because of where I work mm -hmm. and you can do it. And go, yes. So that's super. Uh, right. And so anybody that's, anybody that's involved in that, yay you, um, please, you know, get in there and read that and be part of the vigorous debate. Uh, and even if your perspective isn't the one that shows up in the software initially, um, there's still the amendment process. And, and, um, collectively, we have to agree to disagree and disagree and commit, as they sometimes say. It's like, I think we should do a passing play. Well, it's going to be a running play. Well, you don't then just like go and do a passing play by yourself while the other 10 team members are doing it. <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. We didn't go with my call. I will disagree and I will commit to support the group decision as best we can. And if it turns out I was right, I will contain my glee and I will not be a jerk about it. <laughs> and I will help draft the amendment to put it back the way I said all along that we should do. Yeah. Okay. That's how we're going to play this. All right. We're going to be good citizens and um, only slightly snarky. <laughs> a little snarky. You got to keep it interesting. A little bit. It's okay. A little bit. Yeah. You got to be able to nip each. Yeah. Hey, you can be the best pack mate in the, in the wolf, you know, clan, but you still got to be able to nip somebody if they need it. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Not going to tear their leg off, but you can give them a little nip. Absolutely. That's, that's the shift. My, wife, my wife has to nip me occasionally. And <laughs> I promise you well, I deserve it. Yeah. I deserve it, and it's more than occasional. She's, she's, she's got to keep me in check. That's good. You know, that's we need that as a pack. healthy, healthy relationship. Yeah, as a pack, yeah, we need Not that. all yeah, candy. Not, not all, all unicorns and rainbows. Yeah, I agree. Not, um, not, not in my life. <laughs> So where can people, like you're saying, this is this is a time to, my crypto friends, time to step up and contribute personal responsibility. That's part of what EOS is about and what the crypto community is about. So where can people... A fulfilled life, I think, is to take responsibility, starting with yourself. Yeah, I think that's a great point. It is. It is part of living a fulfilled life because when you're taking responsibility for yourself, all of a sudden, um, I'm not, I don't have anyone to blame, you know, and, I, and I'm making my own decisions. That's well, it means that the learning... Freedom loop is really small and it's right in here <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. it's like hmm, i did i contributed to this i can change my behavior i can change my assumptions i can change my habits with difficulty hmm this is cool 
by yeah. being the author of my actions, I, I, I have agency and I can make my life better. And, and I can team. focus my attention 100% on the one thing I can control, which is me, mm -hmm. to the extent I have self-control. Yeah. <laughs> and you're attaining uh, that higher level freedom that people are always yes. wanting there, huh? Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you. Thank yeah. you, Marcus Aurelius. <laughs> so uh, strongly recommend keeping an eye out for um, the governance channel and um, other channels where we're doing the discussing. Uh, and uh, again, big appreciation to Mao and EOS Real for doing the heavy work of convening. They don't make the decisions. They're just doing all the work of organizing the rest of us uh, and organizing some, some discussions and some conference calls and so on. So really appreciate that. So the best place for ideas would be EOS EOS.gov. Okay, the Telegram chat. I will put the link for yeah. the Telegram chat. Telegram chat and also and the EOS Go forum for governance. And the EOS Go. for threaded discussions that have, have longevity. The okay. Telegram, it's here, it's gone. Okay, so the EOS Go forum, I'll put the Telegram chat and the EOS Go forum in the notes uh, for people who want to contribute, ask questions, have ideas. Super. And, um, and until next time, we Great. will. Uh, we'll, we're going to move EOS, EOS forward fast here. It was an absolute pleasure, uh, Mr. Cox. I, I appreciate oh, your time. And I, I love you, talking sir. about this stuff. This is this warms my heart. I feel like we're in, a, we're in a beautiful time in history here, and I'm just really proud to be a part of it. Well, and it's about to get interesting, and we'll have tough times ahead, and we'll have times of doubt, and times of bugs, and times of maybe downtime or setbacks or weird token value fluctuations, and you know. Mm -hmm. There will be storm clouds as well as sunny skies. Okay, fine. Bring it. Let's take it on together. Let's go do it, huh? <laughs> let's, let's face the challenges of, of life um, together with our shared values. So the delight for me as well. Thank you so much. Wonderful. And cheers, my steam friends. Thank you, Mr. Cox. Have a great day. Bye. Cheers. The money is not the prime asset in life. Time is, and uh, your time is just a